A couple years ago, I don't know how many years passed a year ahead when I say a couple years ago, but a couple years ago, just, you know, back in 1865-ish, there was a man who was walking the streets of London, and he was walking and he was praying because he had been spending a lot of time amongst other churches and church leaders and church people, and he was frankly pretty sick of them, and so he decided to (laughs) go and spend some time amongst the drunkards and the prostitutes, and the beggars, and the gamblers, and he's walking through, and he's seeing the pubs that line the streets of London, most of them having uh, just a few steps right at the bar so that children can even walk up to the bar and buy alcohol, because at this point, there was no prohibition against a child drinking. You just had to have money, and you could, and he is seeing the depravity of it all, And his heart is breaking because as he has tried to invite many of these people into the churches that he's been a part of, they were rejected at the door. And so contemplating God's love for these people against the church that was currently rejecting the the least of these among us, he began to recognize the breaking that was happening in his heart was connected to a calling that God was putting on him. His name was William Booth, and the ministry that he began to these people who were of the street at this time, is, it, it, it grew, and, and, one of, and he began ministering and gathering together, and God began changing hearts and changing lives, and after about 10 years, he was putting together a, a description of what the ministry, their mission, had accomplished in the last year, and as he was writing on the title that, that said, the Christian mission is a volunteer, volunteer army. He stopped and he crossed out the words volunteer army and he changed the term to salvation army. And what began as a dream and a calling and a burden on one person's heart has become a ministry that now today serves more than 30 million Americans every single year. In fact, in America, where it didn't even begin, it is one of the only, it is the only ministry that is known to have an impact on every single zip code of the United States. It's incredible to me that that ministry over 150 years has grown so much, but it grew out of a dream that rested on just one person's heart. But isn't that how change begins? Things that change our culture, change our world, change our churches. It starts as a dream in one person's heart. And, it, and that dream usually feels like I could never do all of that. I could never do enough. I think far too often the dreams that we have in our hearts, we look at them and we say, oh, that's just too big for me to make a difference. And so we just never start. Today, oh man, today I've got three different sermons for you, so we're going to have to go quick because this is one of my favorite people in scripture because the, the humanity is all over the story and there's leadership all over the story and there's faith all over the story. We're looking at the person of Joseph. We're in this series called The Story. And the story, its intent is to give you the, the overarching picture of what God is doing through generations, but also the lower picture of some of the critical stories of scripture so you understand how God works in specific people's lives. And one of the ways for you to think of the entire Bible is that you you can separate it into five major sections. The first is that it starts in paradise. It starts in the garden and creation. The second, it goes to God building a nation in Israel. 
And then the third, the life and the ministry of Jesus. The fourth, the early church. And the fifth, paradise. By the time we get through 31 weeks, you guys are going to be able to say that for me. And I love that because you're going to be able to give a brief explanation of what is covered in Scripture. And today, we are in week number three. We're in the story of Joseph. And to give you some context on Joseph, in case you you weren't able to read this last week's section or if you're just hopping in with us, Joseph was born to a family that had 12 brothers. Can you imagine trying to survive life with 12 brothers? The people with brothers know they've got the battle wounds. Joseph was the second to youngest. But Joseph didn't have it so bad because Joseph was the absolute favorite of dad, like in a way that his dad didn't even try to hide it, which is good for Joseph. But if you have 12 brothers, you, 11 brothers, you also know that would also be bad for Joseph. But this is how bad, this is how dysfunctional dysfunctional it was. His dad even bought him a special robe that was ornate and beautiful that visually set him apart to back up the truth that everybody knew that this was dad's absolute favorite. His older brother Reuben, at the time when Joseph was about 17, Reuben was probably about 35 or 37. Now understand this. If you've ever had to deal with a 16 or 17-year-old teenager, you know how foolish they are, unless you're still 16 or 17, in which case you know absolutely everything there is to be known. (laughs) You'll understand one day. But picture it that the 35-year-old oldest brother, the one who gets a double portion inheritance, he is the next patriarch of the family. He is the second most important person in the room outside of his father. He is out there tending sheep. And the 17-year-old in his special freaking coat gets sent out to check up on him and reports back to dad if the 17-year-old thinks he's doing a good enough job shepherding sheep. Can you imagine how absurd that would feel to you? If you are checking in as a 35-year-old with a 17-year-old spoiled brat. Now, compounding on top of that already, 17-year-old starts having dreams. And in these dreams, the 35-year-old, the next patriarch, is bowing down to the 17-year-old. And the 17-year-old has a great glean in his eye. Like he is just beaming when he's telling his siblings about this. Tells his dad about it. It is so socially destructive and awkward and dangerous for Joseph to be telling his dad, I had a dream where you and mom and all the siblings were bowing down to me. This is who Joseph was at the time. He was someone who he had a dream and it was authentically from God. But he presented presented it to others in a way that was unhealthy. And I want to tell you, God works through dreams that are in our heart, but there's there's time that is needed to develop it and get it ready. And Joseph, though he had the dream, he did not have the character to back it up, and he was not ready to be elevated to that position. And that was clear by the way that he presented it and the way that it was received by his brothers. 
And so that, that's kind of the, the context going in. And then as the story really gets going, he's going out on one of those missions to check up on his older siblings, wearing his super fancy coat as he goes and looks at the people who are actually doing the hard work. And as he finds them, they see him coming in the distance and they say, you know what, let's just kill him. And that seems severe, and it was severe. One of the brothers is like, oh, let, let, let's, let's not actually kill him, but let, let's just throw him in a pit. Like, let's put him in the cistern. A cistern is like a well. They threw him into a well, and they were going to basically leave him there to die. And then they said, you know what? Letting him die doesn't put any money in our pocket. Look, there's the Ishmaelites, some of our cousins, distant cousins walking by. They're going to Egypt. Let's sell him as a slave to them. And so Joseph goes from the spoiled son to beaten up by his siblings, to thrown into a cistern and sold into slavery. Oh, man. When I begin to try to put myself into Joseph's shoes, as idiotic as how he presented his dreams to his siblings, can you begin to emotionally process some of the things that you'd be thinking and feeling as you hear them bartering a price for you. I mean, he lived in the lap of luxury. He had a dream that was from God. He had a dream of greatness and aspiration. And then he finds himself in, himself in chains. I want to tell you, it, it's important for us to have dreams, but we need to be wise in the way that we handle them. I believe that God raises up leaders, but I believe there's a process by which he raises up leaders. I believe that there's aspirations that you should have in your heart, but we make the mistake of thinking we're gonna jump from the position we're in to being the most important person in the room immediately when God's pathway for us to get there usually involves struggle, difficulty, even pain. Even questioning of, God, is this dream really from you? And, and I want to I start in this place because some of you guys in the room have a dream from God that he's put on your heart, but you've given up on it because it did not come true quickly enough. Some of you have a dream that God has put on your heart to make a difference in this world, to make a difference in your career field, to make a difference in your family. But you've gone through some difficulty You've gone through some pain. You've gone through some unexpected turns in your life story. And you've maybe forgotten about the dream. And I want to, first of all, remind you. I believe that God has a calling and a purpose and a spiritual gift that he has put into each one of our lives. And if you have given up on the calling that God placed on your life, you need to wake that back up. You need to call it back to memory. You need to pray it back into existence in your life. Because even as severe as family betrayal, there's nothing that can steal God's dreams from your life. I mean, it's a visual representation in the story that Joseph had this this robe that he had, that was, it was a sign of his privilege. It was a sign of his elevated status. And his brothers literally put their hands on it and tore it apart. They dipped it into the blood of a goat and brought it back to their dad and said, examine this and see if this is Joseph's coat. 
we think maybe something happens to him. Like his projected career path of how he thought everything would happen got blown apart. And I have to think that on that road, because we see this dramatic transformation begin to occur in Joseph's attitude, and I have to think that a big part of the transformation that we see in Joseph's life happened on that walk to Egypt. In view of difficulty, in view of struggle, our dreams can begin to fade on the horizon. I want to read to you just to, to, to go back through what the passage has said. In Genesis 37, verse 3, it says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Like, I wasn't just exaggerating. Like, this is what it says. Because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. I want to just tell you right now, don't underestimate the power of a dream. Like, go ahead and put that up on the screen. Don't underestimate the power of a dream. One, the power of a dream to direct your life, and two, the power of a dream to make people want to see you fail. When you have something that's significant in your heart, there are, when you begin to make changes, it's so funny to me, we're, we're just out of January now, but right at the beginning when everyone's making their resolutions for the new year, there are always those trolls in the corners who are like, just looking for an opportunity to be like, oh yeah, your diet lasted a long time, didn't you? I can't wait to go back to the gym once all the new year people are no longer there. Like there's people who just love to see people fail. And, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you fall into that camp, I'm gonna, as your pastor, I'm going to go ahead and poke at you some. We need to be looking and believing for the best in people. The church needs to be a source of encouragement, not trying to push people back down the hill. All right? And if you had it in your heart to pursue something new this year and people questioned you out of it or you gave up on it already, you need to wake that dream back up. We should be a people who are trying to make ourselves better. Your body is a temple. You should take great care of it. Your finances should be in good, or, on good order. It brings honor to God. Our words should be selected quickly or carefully, not just quickly, because we're told that we will be judged for every idle word that is spoken. We should be bettering ourselves and dreaming of ways to do it. And when we grab onto a dream and say, this is my dream for 2023, it will help focus your energy and direct your path. And when you experience difficulty or failure or breaks in the road that you did not expect, it's important to verbalize your dream. And in one of his speeches that he was giving, Martin Luther King Jr. was presenting his heart and his intent for changes he wanted to see, but the people listening were just not dialed into him that day. And so what, what is recorded is that one of, the, one of his companions shouted out to him and interrupted his sermon that he was given, which that's a dangerous thing to do. Let me just go ahead and make sure I put that out there. If you get bored, don't tell me, like, start preaching one of my old ser- sermons, all right? That's not what I'm looking for. But someone shouted out, tell him about the dream. And so he, he started to. 
And it shifted the culture in the room. It shifted the intention. And he began, and he said these words that should be familiar to you. And he said, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. All men are created equal, amen? I have a dream that one day the Red Hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit together at the table of brotherhood. We should be able to sit at the same table of brotherhood with all races, amen? I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Amen? And that is how we should view each other and treat each other. And one person's dream affected generations, and continues to affect change today. And when you can verbalize the dream that you have, I believe that it, ta- it gives you more power to pursue it. And I believe that we have low expectations and low, low belief of the capacity that we have to actually pursue the God-given dream. And so very few of us in this room today could probably verbalize, this is what God is doing through my life right now. This is what God has called me to right now. This is where I'm affecting change right now. And sometimes God gives a dream in the middle of the night and sometimes we have to seek after him in prayer and seek after him in study. And like William Booth did, he walked the streets and he prayed and he said, God, where am I supposed to be ministering at? What is this supposed to look like? But I believe that when the church rises up and is passionate about seeing the kingdom of God built on earth and we find our place to fulfill that calling, God will show you somewhere to live that dream out. Sometimes we get to see the dream built immediately and sometimes there are decades of preparation that are established as a foundation for the building of that dream. I believe many of us are called to do something that we don't get to step into immediately but it takes time because God has to, man, I, I'm just going to say this the way it is. I apologize if this is, is not as compassionate as, as she. Sometimes God has to work the stupid out of us. All right? Because Joseph had some ego stuff going on. Uh, I like the way that John Wayne said it. You can put this up on the screen. John Wayne, not little Wayne, John Wayne said, life is hard, but it's harder when you're stupid. And when there's parts of our character that get in the way of our calling, God will never elevate you beyond where your character should put you. God is never going to put you in a position that is above the actual living of your life. And so as we pursue dreams, this is one of the second things that I want to instill in you guys today, is do not expect your path to be easy or fair. Joseph had a dream, he had a calling, he had a purpose, but his path to it, it was not easy and it was not fair, and neither will yours. There will be times where you are authentically seeking to serve God and there will be interruptions that come into your life that disrupt your family that should not have been there. It's a speed bump that you should not have had to deal with. It is not fair what Joseph's brothers did to him. It is not right. It is betrayal at its worst. It's not fair what his cousins did to him. Ishmaelites were extended family if you think back just a couple generations. 
It's not fair that they took him, that they bought him, that they sold him into slavery. It's not fair what happened to him next. He was sold as a slave into Potiphar's household. He was a captain of the Pharaoh's guard. He was politically powerful. And Joseph, when he got there, this is incredible to me because the kid who was the favored son, he was the spoiled brat. He didn't have to do the hard work. He didn't have to do the actual shepherding. He just got to be the manager, even though he was one of the youngest there. Now he's put in position as a slave. And there was something that happened in his internal dialogue that said, well, if I'm here now, I have to work hard here now. And I don't want you to miss the transition that happened. He was in a place of great blessing. He was put into a place of great difficulty. And he did not decide to lay down on the floor and throw a temper tantrum. I mean, I believe that he shed tears. I believe that on the walk to Egypt, he was probably saying, my dad is going to find me. My dad is going to come for me. My brothers are going to change my mind. This isn't going to happen. This isn't happening. But when he finally had to confront the reality that this is where he is now. He worked hard. And God blessed his work, even in a difficult situation. Do you know when you're working for a a boss who is an idiot, God can still bless your work? And if any of my staff members say amen right there, I'm going to have a job opening for you. Even when you're working for someone in a situation that is not fair and your wage is not fair and your situation and how you're treated is not fair, you should still work in a way that God can bless it. Even when you feel like your dream is a million miles away because how far away did that dream feel from Joseph in this time? So God's gonna elevate me to a position of great importance. Even my dad and the people around me, they're gonna bow down to me because what I do is so important and here I am a slave in somebody else's house. Should I throw a temper tantrum tantrum, because I'm not the one in charge? No, I'm going to work hard in what I do. And little by little, God blessed and elevated all the things that Joseph put his hand to. You know what God cannot bless? He cannot bless the things that you do not try. He cannot bless the risks that you do not take. He cannot bless the effort that you do not pour out. God will not bless your inaction. And in fact, if you think when Jesus gave the parable of the talents and the three different servants, they were entrusted different amounts and the one with the lowest amount did nothing with it. That is where Christ's wrath and judgment got poured out in the parable. We like to stop teaching that parable when it gets to the part where he's like bound and thrown out and facing judgment. But it seems that Christ has no patience for a person who does not try to do anything with what they are given. So what are you trying to do for the kingdom of God with the time that you were given? Joseph's situation is terrible. He's a slave in the household. He works his way all the, all the way to the top. You want to know how not fair it is, though? He gets to the top, and the, the, Genesis, no kidding, literally describes him as well-built and handsome. That is a good description that I have not heard, all right? well-built and handsome. But so much so, Potiphar's wife takes notice. I want to make sure I show you this this passage. We're going to go to to verse 9 and 10. This is Joseph responding to her, and she's entreating him, come to bed with me. And And he says, how could I then do such a wicked thing 
and sin against God. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. I want you to see where his integrity had grown to. This is amazing that Joseph didn't just say no to her once, day after day. He rejected the temptation. And then finally, verse 11, it says, one day, and put this up on the screen, one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house, then she made an accusation. She said, I've got the evidence. This servant, this slave tried to rape me. So let's think of Joseph's story. First, his brothers took his robe. Injustice, unfair. Second, Potiphar's wife took his cloak. Accused him of something he did not do. It's unjust, unfair. He ends up being thrown in prison. An interesting thing about the way that he was thrown in prison, he wasn't given a sentence. There was no expectation of getting out. And what, this is so good. What does Joseph do when he's in prison? He says, if I'm here, I'm just gonna take care of the other prisoners. So much so that, that it says that the warden didn't even know what to do with himself. He, he, because Joseph just handled everything. Joseph was going around and checking on the other inmates. If you ever deserve to throw a pity party for yourself, it would be a situation like this. He walked with integrity and he got accused of one of the worst things you could be accused of. He was a rich man's favorite son who became a slave, who became someone referred to as a rapist. And what does he do? He just serves where he is. He works in what he can do. And maybe he realized it, maybe he didn't, but man, God was preparing him for the dream that he planted on Joseph's heart years before. Joseph was about 17 when he got taken into slavery and he spent about eight years in prison. While he was in prison, two of the fellow inmates that he was taking care of, they had these dreams that they couldn't get off their chest. And he said, share them to me. God can give an interpretation. And he interpreted the dreams properly to them. One of them was restored to the Pharaoh. He was supposed to put in a good word for Joseph, completely forgot about him. But then when Pharaoh had a dream that he could not figure out what it meant, he was asking his his staff. And then he heard about Joseph. And in verse 14, we'll put this up on the screen. It says, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph and, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard that it is said of you that you can hear a dream and you can interpret it. Now, pause right there. I want to make sure our cultural perspective is on point. To disagree with Pharaoh or to even disagree with what he has heard of, you could end up dead. So people have to tread very carefully with how they respond to Pharaoh, and I want you to hear how Joseph responded. He said, I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give the answer. God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Joseph was brought out of prison, elevated to a position where it says, I've heard that you have the gift, you have the capacity, you have the wisdom to interpret dreams. And Joseph immediately said, I cannot do it. 
but God. Joseph's heart went from, I'm going to be the center stage and everyone's going to bow to me, to anything that I can do, because he had interpreted dreams before, but he correctly put the accolade and said, this is all about God. And he said, here's the meaning of the dreams. There's going to be years of abundance. They're going to be followed by years of famine. And so the years of abundance, you need to take one-fifth. You need to put on a 20% tax on all of the abundance. Fill up your storehouses so that way you have food for all the years ahead of famine. And Pharaoh's like, sounds like God has spoken to you. You have a plan. I'm going to put you in charge. You're going to rule over everything. I'm going to, I'm going to put new clothes on you. I'm going to put you in a position of power. And everyone is going to listen to your orders. And suddenly it looked a lot like the dreams that Joseph had. So much so that in fact when everything happened as God had said it would happen, there came the day where the famine reached into the land of Canaan. To the land where Joseph's family was, where he had been betrayed, where he had been hurt. And so they sent the brothers that sold him into slavery into Egypt to buy grain. And do you know who they had to walk in front of to buy that grain? It had been 20 years since they sold him into slavery. But Joseph was fluently speaking Egyptian language. He was dressed in Egyptian garb. He probably had the funky eyeliner on that we see in movies all the time. They didn't recognize him. This is, this is my favorite part of the Joseph story. Because you think, oh, Joseph, he, he, his dream came together. He was a good, good man. Like he knew and he, and he forgave. Joseph was like walking on the edge of a knife. Because he saw his brothers and he accused them of being spies. And he said, I'm going to take nine of the ten of you and I'm going to throw you in prison. The other one, go and get the younger son that you said exists and bring him back to me. And he's deciding, like, will I pour my wrath out on them? And he threw him in prison for three days and, and I'm going to tell you, I believe God kind of like softened his heart and said, I'm just going to keep one of you. The other nine go back. And as they're coming back, he, or as this is happening, he hears his brothers talking and they say, this is happening. They don't think he can understand them. He says, this is happening because of what we did to Joseph. What we did to Joseph was wrong. God is judging us now. And Joseph has to leave the room and weep because he begins to recognize that his brothers know what they did was wrong. And it's like he goes back and forth in the story of like, should I hurt them? Should I scare them? Should I tell them that I do divination with this cup that I planted on Benjamin's sack so that, so that when he was leaving I could accuse him of theft and bring him back and punish them some more? And he just goes back and forth, back and forth until he finally reaches the point and he sees it the way that God sees it. And he makes this statement. He makes this statement to his brothers. I'm going to skip down just for time's sake to the verse, um, chapter 50, verse 19. As, as his brothers were afraid, he said, he said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done, the saving of many lives. As I wrap this up, I want to tell you, your pain 
It's not to say what someone else did was right, but your past pain, it can be used to build God's kingdom. It can be used to save other people's lives. It can be used to put you in a position of influence that you would not have had otherwise. And our risk is that we can let our past pain destroy our future, destroy our dreams. And this is my warning for you. Go back to that, that, that last point. Do not let your past pain destroy your dreams. God will actually use your past pain, your family of origin stuff that has followed you. He can use that in a way to build his kingdom, but you have to change your internal dialogue of the way that you think about it and the way that you talk about it. Because everything that you believe has hindered you and slowed you down. It's not that it wasn't wrong. It's not that it wasn't difficult. It's just that nothing can possibly stop what God wants to do in your life. Nothing can possibly prevent God's dream and his calling. Nothing that anyone else can do. Nothing that a person of earth or a demon of hell can stop you. The only thing that can stop you is you when you decide to say, I just can't do it. But God would look at you and say, you have been called by my name. You have been empowered by my spirit. You have been instructed by my scriptures and you have been given a gift and a word from me to make a difference. So child, what of earth should you allow to stop you? And what we need is a church of people who are in their 70s and their 60s and their 50s that would say, I have a calling of God on my life right now and nothing can stop it. We need a church of people who are 15 and 25 and 35 and 45 who say right now there is purpose and there is opportunity and there is a place where if I walk the streets of my city, God will show me something where I can have an impact. God will show me a neighbor. God will show me a person at church. God will show me a person in my small group that I can minister to because he's put me here for a time and a reason and I'll pursue it. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for the example of Joseph who walked through incredible adversity, things that most of us would never even experience, but still lived for you, still gave you glory. Would you put the conviction on our heart to live with the same passion and purpose? We trust that you call, that you challenge, and that you provide a way even through the most difficult paths. So we will continue to seek that place where we can make a difference in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we say?